Section 13 of Anthropology. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Anthropology, Book 1 by Immanuel Kant. Translated by Adolf Ernst Kroger. Section 13 concerning certain bodily means of exciting or soothing the power of imagination twenty seven i pass by in this section everything which is not means for a purpose but a natural consequence from the position wherein we may be placed and through which our power of imagination alone deprives us of our self-control this includes the sensation of dizziness when we look down from the edge of a steep precipice, perhaps even from a small bridge which has no railing, and seasickness. The plank upon which the man who feels himself to be weak-nerved places his foot would not fill him with any fear if it lay flat on the earth, but if it is merely a plank laid across a chasm, the thought of the mere possibility that he might make a false step is so potent that the man in his attempt to cross gets into real danger. Seasickness, of which I myself have had an experience in a voyage from Pelot to Konigsberg, if indeed anyone chooses to call it a sea voyage, with its tendency to vomit, arose in my case as i believe to have observed solely through the eyes for when the ship began to roll and i looked out of the cabin my eyes caught now the lowness and in the next moment the highness of the shore and the returning sinking after the mounting stirred up by means of the power of imagination through the muscles of the bowels an anti-peristaltic movement on the part of the intestines to excite or soothe the power of imagination we have material means in the enjoyment of intoxicating substances some of which work as poisons and weaken the vital force certain fungi etc the chica of the peruvians the ava of the south sea islands opium etc while others operate as invigorating or at least as stirring up our feelings such as fermented liquors wine and beer or their spirit distillation brandy but all of these are unnatural and artificial a person who takes them in such excess that he cannot regulate for a while his sensuous perceptions in accordance with the laws of experience is called drunken or intoxicated and the act of voluntarily placing oneself in this condition is called to get drunk but all these means are intended to make a man forget the burden which seems originally to rest on life the extensive inclination to make use of these means and their influence on the use of the understanding particularly deserve to be specially treated in a pragmatic anthropology all dumb intoxication that is all intoxication which does not enliven social intercourse and common interchange of thoughts contains an abominable element for instance the drunkenness of opium and brandy 
wine and beer whereof the former is merely stimulating while the other is more nourishing and produces satiation like food serve on the other hand to produce social intoxication though the following distinction is observable that whereas beer drinking bouts are more dreamy and exclusive and at times even clownish and coarse wine drinking feasts are joyous loud and eloquent with wit it is very true that intemperance in social drinking if it goes so far as to befog the senses is a naughtiness on the part of a man not only in regard to the society with which he holds intercourse but also in regard to his self-esteem if he departs from that society staggering or at least not with a sure step or perhaps even hiccoughing but much may also be said to soften a judgment on such a case of misbehavior where the boundary line of self-possession can so easily be forgotten and overstepped for after all the host desires only that the guests should go forth fully satisfied ut conviva satur from his social entertainment freedom from care and along with it a sort of recklessness which intoxication produces are a deceptive feeling of increased vitality the drunken man feels no longer the obstacles of life which nature is always kept busy to subdue which also constitutes health and is happy in his weakness since nature is really desirous to restore him his life gradually by a gradual increase of his forces women clergymen and jews rarely intoxicate themselves or at any rate they carefully avoid the appearance of it since they are weak before the law and need caution which absolutely requires soberness for their external worth depends solely on the faith of others in their chastity piety and separatistic law-abiding character for so far as the latter is concerned it is evident that all separatists that is all who submit themselves not only to a public state law but also to a particular sectarian code are specially exposed to the observation of the community wherein they live and to close criticism seeing that they are eccentric and pretend to belong to a specially elect class of beings hence they can never afford to lose their self-control and intoxication which takes away from them their circumspection is a scandal to them concerning cato one of his stoical admirers says his virtue was strengthened by wine virtus aegis incaluit miro and in speaking of the ancient germans a later writer remarks they held their councils of war while drinking in order that their resolutions might not be without force and reconsidered them when sober in order that they might not be without prudence drinking loosens the tongue in vino desertus but wine also opens the heart and is a natural vehicle to a moral quality namely open-heartedness to keep back one's thoughts is a choking state of mind for a pure heart and jovial drinkers do not like to see any one very moderate at their gatherings 
since such a person has the appearance of a spy who has his eye open to the faults of others while keeping his own defects concealed hume says that a companion who does not forget is unpleasant to us and that the foolishness of one day must be forgotten to make room for that of another good-heartedness is always presupposed in this permission which man has to go a little beyond the boundary line of sobriety for a short time and hence the policy which was set in motion a half-century ago when northern courts appointed ambassadors who could drink a great deal without getting drunk themselves in order to pump out secrets from the court in which they were accredited and to use persuasions unduly was treacherous happily it has vanished together with the coarseness of the morals of that time and an epistle of warning against that vice may therefore be likely enough superfluous in view of the moral culture of the present age whether we can discover at drinking bouts the character of the men who get drunk i believe not a new fluid has been mixed with the juices circulating in their veins and their nerves have been stirred up in a novel manner which does not reveal to us more clearly than we knew it before their natural temperament but rather infuses them with another one hence one man who gets drunk grows amorous another boastful a third quarrelsome a fourth especially when he gets drunk on beer sentimental soft-hearted or even dumb but all of them when they have slept off their intoxication and are reminded of their speeches on the preceding evening are impelled to laugh at this curious state or misstate of their senses twenty eight originality not imitated production of the power of imagination is called genius whenever it harmonizes with conceptions otherwise it is fantastic it is remarkable that we cannot imagine a rational being to have any other form than the human form it is true that any other form would also be a symbol of a certain quality of man a snake for instance of man's malicious slyness but it would not represent the rational being itself in this manner we people all other planets and stars in our imagination with human shapes although it is probable that they may be very differently shaped according to the difference of the soil which bears and nourishes them and the elements whereof they are composed all other shapes which we may give to rational beings are caricatures footnote hence the holy three an old man a young man and a bird a dove must be represented not as actual figures similar to their originals but merely as symbols the same is signified by the descending from and ascending to heaven whenever we desire to supply images of sense to our conceptions of rational beings we cannot proceed otherwise than to anthropomorphize them happily or unhappily 
according as the symbolic representation approaches the conception of the object itself and footnote if the lack of a sense for instance of sight is an accident of birth the maimed person cultivates another sense as much as possible to do vicarious duty for the missing one and makes use of the productive power of imagination to a great extent he tries for instance to make his mind obtain a notion of the form of external bodies by touching them or if they are too large for the sense of touch as for instance in the case of a house by using another sense let us say hearing and thus to make space extension comprehensible to himself by the echo of his voice from a remote corner of the room if however a happy operation should at some time free him from his defect and open his organ for its proper expressions he must first learn how to see and how to hear that is he must try and subsume his perceptions under conceptions of this kind of objects conceptions of objects often lead us involuntarily to subordinate to them a self-created image by means of productive imagination thus when we read or hear spoken of the life and deeds of a man who is great either in talents merits or rank we are generally led to ascribe to him in thought also a correspondingly large figure whereas our imagination clothes a gentle or soft character whose description we read or listen to in a small and pliant form not merely peasants but even persons well enough acquainted with the world find themselves at a loss when the great hero whom they had shaped out in accordance with the grandeur of his reputed deeds is seen by them to be a little mannequin and when vice versa the delicate and gentle hume is pointed out to them as a broad-shouldered man hence we should never strain our expectation of anything too severely since the power of imagination is naturally inclined to rise to the highest pitch for actuality is always more limited than the idea which serves as a model for the execution of the former it is not advisable to laud a person whom we desire to introduce into society too highly beforehand indeed this may often be done merely with a malicious purpose to place a newcomer in a ridiculous position for our power of imagination so increases the representation of that which is expected that the person in question cannot fail to be lowered in comparison with the preconceived idea of his attainments the same thing happens when people announce a new novel a drama or anything of that kind which belongs to a higher fashion in an overwrought way for the work so announced cannot fail to disappoint nay the mere having read a good drama weakens the impression of its representation but if the work which was glorified in this way beforehand turns out to be the very counterpart of what we were led to expect the drama if otherwise not pernicious will excite the greatest laughter
changeable shapes put in motion though they may have no significance in themselves that might attract us such as the sparkling of a fire on the hearth or the various twistings and foam flowings of a brook gliding over pebbles entertain the power of imagination with a number of representations of quite a different kind that is your sense of seeing for instance is not so much affected by them as ought to be the case and in the place of it your mind occupies itself with reminiscences etc or loses itself in thought even music may put a poet or philosopher indeed anyone who does not listen to it with critical ears into a mood wherein everyone may hunt up or snatch at thought according to his business or pet occupation which he would never have caught so surely if he had shut himself up alone in his room the cause of this phenomenon seems to be this that whenever one of our senses is led by a manifold which in itself can excite no attention at all to stray from attending to an object which strikes the sense nerve prominently our power of thinking is not only relieved from a load but also animated in so far as it needs a power of imagination specially exerted and lasting to subordinate a material content to the conceptions of its understanding the english spectator tells of a lawyer who had a habit when pleading of taking a piece of thread from his pocket and twisting it continually around his finger his cunning opponent had observed this and secretly taken the thread out of his pocket whereby the former was quite confounded and spoke nothing but nonsense hence the phrase he has lost the thread of his discourse End of section 13